and welcome to this episode of The Art and Design of Sci-Fi and Fantasy, Mystery and Horror. Today I speak with uh, Jonathan Reisner about his uh, recent book on Argentine horror cinema. We talk about um, what Argentine horror cinema is, how it's made, um, how it's distributed, uh, some of the elements that uh, it involves um, Argentina had a long and brutal dictatorship up until relatively recently uh, in the modern era and uh, we talk about how that may or may not have affected um, how Argentina horror is created or and what they include in their horror so definitely interesting for any horror fans uh, anyone interested in cinema in general uh, Latin American cinema definitely so yeah good stuff um, thank you and enjoy I'm speaking with Assistant Professor Jonathan Reisner, author of Blood Circuits, Contemporary Argentine Horror Cinema. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you for having me, Chris. So first, tell me, how did you get into studying and writing about this subject? Oh, well, it's a, a bit of a long story, but uh, I'll try to be concise. Uh, so I guess uh, I could go back to... Uh, 2005, 2006, uh, it was during the, you know, I guess what's still going on, the war on terror, and uh, I was uh, taking a class uh, where I was in graduate school, and the class was about memory, and uh, how novels and films and uh, number, numerous other kinds of media, um, let's see, uh, commemorate. Uh, different events, maybe uh, more often than, than not, unfortunately, tragedies. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that struck them at that time was uh, in U.S. Uh, popular culture, a lot of the uh, movies and television shows that were coming out about uh, the war on terror, what was going on in Afghanistan and um, Iraq and, and the United States, those, most of those movies were failing. Uh, television shows are failing, and most of those that were failing were those dramas. dramas. Um, but what what kind of struck me as strange is what was popular was uh, was uh, Eli Roth's Hostel, uh, which isn't necessarily a political film, but it has some some elements to it that that uh, that bring up uh, some things that were happening. Um, so I was struck by that, and then and then the news and internet news on. Uh, on a, uh, I guess the website format for a Hollywood industrial uh, magazine called Variety, there was an article uh, written about Argentine horror cinema, and uh, I'd never heard about an Argentine horror film ever being made. Um, so I was immediately struck by, um, well, how do you make a horror film and and not uh, remember, not reference, or even escape. Uh, a very real tragedy that, that happened in that country from 1976 to 1983. Mm -hmm. And during that time, there was a dictatorship, uh, the last dictatorship it's oftentimes called. And during that time, uh, it's been estimated about 30,000 people were were killed, uh, disappeared in pretty brutal ways. There were torture centers in the country. and um, So again, my question was, how do you make a horror film? And nowadays, well, it's almost uh, a given that horror films are going to have, um, not always, but, but frequently have uh, a kidnapping or uh, some kind of type of captivity or torture. 
and uh, yeah, so I was, you know, the the question that 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 struck me was, how do you make a film without bringing up that past and that without critics um, taking a director to task for even dealing with that kind of uh, that kind of violence and a society that has a history of very real violence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's kind of what attracted me to the project originally. And then there, as I dug deeper, there are more and more interesting things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, so tell me a little bit about uh, this book. Uh, well, so the book uh, was originally a dissertation project when I was in graduate school. And based on the criticism I got about the dissertation, I uh, uh, transformed the dissertation to a book. And also there were newer films that were made since I finished the dissertation. So I finished the dissertation in, let's see, 2012, and there were new films made. Um, so, yeah, I included those new films and, and try to expand it and, and, and take into account some new things that are happening with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, something that I was kind of struck about, that struck me about Argentine horror cinema was it? you know, there's not much of a tradition of Argentine horror cinema um, in the you know, proceeding. I guess Argentine horror cinema kind of came into its own at the end of the 1990s, and prior to that, uh, throughout, gosh, I'd say like the 1910s up through 1970s and 80s, uh, horror cinema was often considered a, a genre that was uh, most often associated with the United States or or uh, England uh, with the Hammer films, or or Italy, or or Spain with uh, Jesus Franco's just Franco's um, films. So that was you know something interesting about it. But uh, a lot of the directors were who are making uh, horror films or who have made horror films in Argentina are heavily influenced by uh, U.S. directors from the '80s. So uh, John Carpenter is one that constantly comes up. Uh, Sam Raimi uh, is another. Um, and they're not like, strictly influenced by horror film directors, but those are kind of the, the usual suspects. Um, but also Japanese horror and uh, Dario Argento's films also exercise some influence. Um, so yeah, what, so what was happening at the end of the 1990s um, and what has changed kind of over the past, gosh, I'd say five or seven years, is that a lot of the films that were made in the 1990s uh, were kind of uh, for lack of a better term, I don't want to use this pejoratively, but kind of amateur films mm-hmm. in the sense that they weren't commercial films that were released in, in cinemas. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that's kind of, that doesn't happen in the United States, but does happen in a lot of other countries, is that the government uh, in Argentina is, is heavily involved with commercial film production um, at all kinds of different levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, in short, if the government doesn't support your film, um, then your film's not going to be shown in uh, in commercial cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, government involvement can be at any kinds of levels. Uh, it's not like a, a heavy subsidy, but it, it does help film production. So again, the 1990s people are making these movies, uh, and they and a lot of these a lot of these folks have have gone to film schools and they have training. Um, but they're making films that like oh gosh, films for like a hundred dollars. Uh, $20, $1,000, $2,000, hmm. not high budgets at all. And they're releasing the films uh, on YouTube, uh, different sites, uh, relying on kind of informal economy. 
in in Argentina, and uh, yeah, some of them are, are great movies. Uh, they're great, and so what what has changed over the past uh, gosh, I'd say ten years now, starting in two thousand eight, the Argentine government started supporting uh, the production of of horror films, and uh, and it's gotten slowly. It's created this kind of sustained rhythm of, of commercial horror films. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've gotten released in cinemas, and you know, some of them are fared better than others. And uh, some of the films have been released uh, in the United States um, on DVD, or uh, I think one film was released in New York in cinemas. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting what, what's happening now is uh, a few of the films, like three or four of them, are available on Netflix. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think Argent- Argentine horror cinema is kind of uh, kind of coming into its own as for its sustained production. There's not like a, a single film that defines it. You know, something like uh, The Ring mm-hmm. from Japan, but rather there's a sustained rhythm of production that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I, before this interview, I went online and saw uh, an Argentine horror short. Uh, I think it was released uh, pretty recently. It was pretty... Uh, pretty intense it felt it felt different from other things i've seen in the u.s it just had a, a well for one it's it felt almost european um okay. it had sort of a i forget the title it's i'm sure if you just google or on youtube just uh search for argentine horror films uh it's a recent wow. short one but uh it just felt like they it was exploring exploring things in a different way and you know it's as you know if you have low budget you know you're going to try to focus on better ideas and that sort of thing yeah definitely and it's you know it's 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 an interesting tension sometimes and that's it's uh it happens all over the globe um and, and not not that all cinema has to be kind of nationalistic in some ways mm-hmm. uh but the, the you know Non-U.S. cinema is oftentimes living in the shadow of Hollywood. You know, uh, it's it's uh, not all directors do this, but um, you know, it's a question of, of of imitating and using what works, but also trying to carve out something that's a little different. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to avoid complete repetition. And um, yeah, so yeah, some of the directors make make interesting things, and um, yeah, I could I could talk more about that, but. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd like you to discuss some of the themes that uh, you talk about in the book. I mean, you could—I don't know if you focus just on the elements themselves, or if you talk about the symbolism of stuff that are in these films. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the first chapter deals with kind of a kind of an overview of what I call Argentine horror film culture, and and basically that idea is. Um, the, the idea of a film culture for me is what people do with films. So whether that be making film uh, fan art or tweeting about a film or going to a film festival and watching a movie and talking about it with their friends, what people do with an Argentine horror film creates a culture around those films. So uh, it, in the first chapter is kind of a way to, to tie in everything. And uh, I talk about Argentine horror film culture in Argentina uh, as well as outside Argentina. So the name of the book is Blood Circuits. So the idea is that there's these horror films, and it's just not Argentine horror films, but other horror films, and they circulate uh, all over the globe now. 
um, you know, there are people who are interested in horror films and not just because they're from a particular country, but they find them interesting for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as Argentine horror film culture goes, uh, in Argentina, I just kind of give an overview of film festivals there and uh, websites and blogs and conventions, um, production companies, uh, funding uh, mechanisms, I guess. And, uh, and, and then I go beyond Argentina and talk about uh, who's paying attention to Argentina work horror cinema outside of Argentina. Hmm. So websites like, um, uh, like used to be called uh, Twitch, Twitch, but now it's uh, Screen Anarchy, hmm. um, but also other websites that are commonly known to horror film fans like uh, Bloody Disgusting or Dread Central, but also horror film, those sites are in the United States, but uh, but also sites that are in Japan and Germany and, and England and Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, those sites that are better for horror cinema, those folks are also aware of the horror films as well. Um, but in, in addition to kind of media, media coverage of those films, there's also kind of film, horror film festival, festivals uh, in all kinds of countries that create kind of circuit for these films. So, uh, horror film festivals or fantasy film festivals like Chiques in, in, uh, in Spain mm-hmm. or uh, Matabro in Mexico um, one in South Korea one in Belgium um, so these you know these, these these places where these films can go and they attract attention and that creates a kind of horror film culture um, and and so from there I kind of I kind of focus on particular films and and organize each section according to themes. Uh, so the, the the next chapter kind of deals with, uh, gosh, lack of a better word, space. Um, so in Argentina, as, let me see if I can be, to, be concise about that, about this, and it's the same in the United States in some ways, uh, and it plays out in U.S. films as well, but in Argentina, um, I could say starting from its independence in 18... 
Argentine horror films that are filmed with English language dialogue. Um, hmm. So I, I try to be brief, but um, when I just started looking into this topic, uh, I went to I went to Buenos Aires and was going interviews with directors and film festival programmers and journalists, um, and uh, I became aware of these horror films that were made in Argentina by Argentine directors usually with Argentine actors and they were speaking an accent of English and trying to make uh, some section of the city or uh, outside of the city uh, make it look like the United States. Huh. Um, so, so, and, and there's this bizarre dynamic and what was happening is that they're making these films for the B-movie market in the United States. And uh, the films are usually on extremely low budgets. Um, and they were getting distribution in the United States and other countries. And uh, most of the stuff, a lot of these films can be seen on on YouTube. Mm. Um, and uh, what was, at that moment with these films, the Argentine government was not supporting them. Um, so it was a way for directors to make films, um, to apply their trade, and to have their films seen. Um, so... These films are getting distrib- distributed in the United States legally, um, and I was going to say that they, they were circulating in Argentina illegally. Um, hmm. So through informal markets and file sharing, um, but they, were, they didn't have distribution in the United States. The films in Argentina, distribution in the United States, sometimes other countries uh, like Germany and Sweden, um, and uh, there's a way for these, these folks to get their name out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's that was something I was interested in. So I look at those movies, and and so I think something else that's really interesting is that uh, Hollywood cinema dominates uh, in Argentina. Uh, Argentines oftentimes prefer uh, they go to the cinema to see a U.S. film um, over an Argentine film. Oftentimes, the production values are better. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have that, and for some of those directors, um, yeah, it's it's a you know in some ways it's a losing battle if you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's just these Argentine English language films show how Argentines, in this case, Argentine directors, know U.S. horror cinema, U.S. B horror cinema, oftentimes so well that they can make a film for the the B film market in the United States successfully and get distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was kind of that was something totally different than I than I had encountered. Um, other other sections of the book, another section I talk about punk horror cinema, mm-hmm. which is this incredibly raw uh, punk cinema that is uh, purposefully offensive, yeah. and uh, and the horror kind of sneaks in there with gore. And uh, yeah, so I talk about that. Another section, and I think in the last section, last chapter of the book, which uh, I think is in some ways the most compelling, just giving the attention to uh, cinema from Argentina. Uh, oftentimes, critics from the, uh, the the popular image of, of Argentine cinema, and, and this is not for cinema, but Argentine cinema in general, mm-hmm. is that a lot of it has to do with the last dictatorship, and that and that's that's true in a lot of ways. The government. Uh, supported a lot of films um, uh, after the dictatorship as a way of 
oh gosh, of dealing with the legacy, but also the way of exporting a kind of image of uh, of the country that that shows that you know that they're aware of their past, hmm. uh, and and in short, and um, so yeah, that's that's a uh, that's kind of one thing I had to deal with. Um, so again, getting back to my what I was saying earlier about what attracted me to the project, um, I went down when I went to interview a lot of directors in Argentina. My one of my questions, which I tried to be as most respectful as as as, as possible, is you know I, I asked them you know when you make these kinds of movies, uh, when you have the kidnapping or when you have this, this torture scene, like are you does this have to do with the what happened in the last situation that they oh no 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 not at all not at all um, so again it's 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 my expectation because so many Argentine films deal with the last dictatorship my initial expectation was well these horror films have to be about uh, the dictatorship and for the directors it was nothing nothing like that hmm. um, so I talk about that um, but I also talk about some some horror films um Gosh, ones that were that have been supported by the by the government and and have a high budget, um, but also some low budget ones that really explicitly deal with the dictatorship in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, uh, that was a way to get at the idea that um, generations remember differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, immediately after the dictatorship in eighty four. 85 and on the most common film genre that dealt with the dictatorship was uh, a melodrama mm-hmm. melodramas and uh, documentaries mm-hmm. and um, uh, there are some film critics Argentine film critics who, who say who said that that was the appropriate way to deal with uh, such a raw memory mm-hmm. you know that you know the society wasn't so far removed from that time Mm-hmm. Uh, that a melodrama and a documentary are kind of, uh, how should I say it, diffident or, or, or uh, ethical ways of dealing with a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but you fast forward, say, like, let me see here, almost, you know, 25, 30 years, uh, a different generation of filmmakers are, are using horror cinema to to deal with it, to deal with legacies of of the uh, of the last dictatorship, mm-hmm. um, and it's oftentimes it's not it's not just about gore, but also oftentimes it's a question of combining horror cinema with comedy. Hmm. Um, so there's you know different ways, different generations deal with memories in different ways, and and uh, for me the horror cinema uh, was a way to consider that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So you've, uh, I just want to ask this quick question. So you've, you've named a few films. I assume that anyone interested in getting into Argentine horror and the punk, punk horror, I, I assume that your book has uh, many of the films listed that people could track down. And I don't want you to name them because I want people to buy the book, you know, to check it out. But you do have that. Yeah, it's in the back is a filmography and and uh yes yeah, folks read along in the chapters uh we'll see that but the filmography should should list the distributors in the United States mm-hmm. um and when the films are available on YouTube I list I list up there on YouTube um so yeah the stuff, stuff's out there and um 
shouldn't be too hard to get. Uh, yeah, there was, you know, I, I think some of this, <laughs> it might be an acquired taste, but, um, mm. you know, some films are, uh, they are what they are. You know, mm. we have low budgets and, and some people might say they stink. Um, but then when you understand a movie is made for $200, then that might, could change someone's mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, anyway. So how many, uh, different films did you review for this book and how many interviews did you do? Would you say about? Oh, goodness. Uh, the number of films I looked at, probably 30, 35, 40. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think. But I was also looking at horror films that were made before this period. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a more conservative estimate, I'd say 30, maybe. Mm-hmm. 30, 35. Uh, as far as the interview goes, um, uh, including uh, Facebook interviews, I would say probably about uh, 25, 30 interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people are really gracious uh, with their time and, and willingness to uh, answer my questions. So, so yeah, it was a good, it was a, it was a good, good project, good undertaking. And, and folks uh, who are involved with the, with the film production or just our film festivals or our journalists were really helpful and and and. and sending me the right direction, although I can't, can't blame them for any of so, yeah. Right, right. So what part of the research was most enjoyable? Oh, goodness. Um, oh, gosh. Um, I would say, I would say, I, I, would, I think what I would say, like uh, what I just said about people's willingness to, uh, to be accessible. Um, I was surprised by that. Um, I think I owe Mark Zuckerberg uh, a beer for his uh, for Facebook because uh, there were a number of times where I didn't know where to begin and uh, I would just on a whim type in a director's name uh, into Facebook or uh, into Google and if they had a personal website I'd contact them through, through their personal website but oftentimes I would contact them through Facebook and, and these folks would respond um, and I was able to meet them at my cafes or, or just to, uh, uh, restaurants and, and do the interviews there or to chat with them through Facebook. And, uh, I think that was, uh, pretty rewarding and, and, uh, downright humbling, um, to, to see folks, uh, who are willing to, to meet with someone they didn't know, um, yeah, about a, about a mutual interest. So, so yeah, I think that was, that was probably the most rewarding thing. So what would you say was the most surprising thing you discovered in your research? Maybe something you haven't mentioned already. Um, goodness, let me think about this. Um, I think that, uh, okay, so I, I think the thing that I mentioned before about the, about the films not being about the elastic bishop, that was surprising. I think something else that was surprising as well was the um, the determination of these filmmakers. Uh, a lot of these folks, uh, a lot of these folks, they, they have some formal film training and sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Um, but without any kind of uh, support, especially for the films, but also with the films that do have uh, some support from some private companies and from the government, Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a it's not a huge budget, um, but 
their inventiveness uh, to make um, to make their own special effects uh, and to wear many hats uh, with the production of the film. Mm-hmm. So, um, with the films that are made on shoestring budgets and without uh, commercial distribution, if you watch the end credits, like the director is oftentimes the script writer, the camera person, and plays multiple characters in the movie. <laughs> um, and and that happens. And it's uh, it's impressive to see these folks' determination to, to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is kind of a, it's kind of mawkish, uh, kind of over-sentimental, but there's a portion of the book, uh, I think an introduction, why I call it, I call these films A Constellation of Miracles. Um, because they're, they're they're realizing these movies, these feature length movies, on budgets that are just uh, yeah, they're that are extremely low. Yeah. Um, but they're making the movies. So mm. it's yeah, it's my hats are off to them. So yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, what was the most difficult part of the research, and that could be a difficult film to track down, or director to find, or or just some issue to solve? Uh, let's see. Um, uh, one thing that seems kind of minor now, in, in retrospect, I was trying to, trying to get rights for a image for the cover of the book, and, you know, it didn't work out, uh, and, and, uh, with one image, and, you know, I found another one, and, and that was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I mean, there was one director I was trying to track down, and, uh, he responded once, and then he couldn't, and, and uh, I thought things were going to work out, and it didn't work out, um, you know, it happens. Um, you know, so I was, it was gracious enough to respond first, but you know that, that was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you know I think those are kind of the the bigger problems. But you know, um, I, I guess the bigger problem also too was just uh, planning the book and laying out in a way that it would be coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, because in some ways, Argentine horror cinema is not coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, like just because the movies all uh, come from the same country or the directors come from the same country, mm-hmm. um, one might expect to find kind of a, a style that has repeated across different the different films, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of a question that came up in the in the in the interviews. And sometimes it's like, what well, what makes Argentine horror cinema different from other films uh, films from elsewhere? Which is also you know, which is kind of an unfair question because you know horror films from the United States are all the things. Um, right. But, uh, but an answer that did come up that was kind of interesting was uh, from, I think, at least one director was Argentine horror film directors making do with more limited budgets. Um, so, you know, a limited budget film, uh, limited, a horror film made on a small budget in the United States might be something like your next Adam Wingard, the next uh, which is made for a million dollars and uh, for a horror film in Argentina a million dollars would be like that would that would be amazing um, <laughs> so yeah was there anything you discovered that emotionally moved you and that could be either negatively or positively or, or just in any way oh man uh, I, I think what uh, what kind of uh, kind of well Gosh, this is this is kind of hard to capture um, in a concise way, but I think the the legacy of of the dictatorship mm-hmm. 
uh, was something that um, that that was that was tough for me to deal with, mm-hmm. um, and not just with the the directors. I mean, they they helped me understand the different dynamics in the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, not the entire country doesn't 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 remember in a uniform way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and often and oftentimes you have people who are born after the dictatorship who been lived through it who are going to have a different relationship to that memory mm-hmm. um, so yeah you know that that was something that, that kind of moved me um, you know seeing seeing the treatment of of the of the dictatorship in a horror film but also understanding that older generations are going to have a different relationship mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where I began with the project I, I started uh, um one group of people that I interviewed that was recommended to me that I interviewed and and it wasn't completely unfruitful was to uh, interview a uh, psychoanalyst um, for complicated for complicated reasons in history uh, Argentina does have a history of uh, of psychoanalysis and, and uh, so I did I did interview two or three psychoanalysts and uh, one of them was alive during uh, the dictatorship and he was a college student and I was asking him about these incredibly sensitive questions and I, I asked his permission if it was okay if I, I did talk to him about these things and uh, you know he, he began crying um, during the interview and, and uh, I felt awful hmm. um, I felt awful and, and we stopped the interview and I, and I uh, um, you know that was it and I, I you know it's one of those things um, you see the human the human consequences of things that uh, on paper uh, or on film uh, seem seem one way, uh, but when you see it in the flesh, is uh, totally different. Can be a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that was something that definitely kind of uh, left an impression on me. So when you were in Argentina, on the surface level, does it seem like a place where? You see elements that that you think, yeah, I guess they did have a dictatorship here that was brutal. Or when you're there, do you feel like, wow, this? I don't even see how you know. I don't see it. I don't see the dictatorship elements, you um, know, remaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're there, it's it's not everywhere, you know. Um, there are memorials, mm-hmm. and uh, so for and. So, for instance, uh, a lot of the torture centers that were operating, um, if they had not been bulldozed, then they've become uh, what are called, uh, I guess the English translation would be memory centers, mm-hmm. um, and and were almost museums where people can can go. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, yeah, I mean, it's 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 that's a fascinating question. You know, there's. It's a it's a it's a culture that in some ways has moved on, but you can't expect it all to move on. You know, mm-hmm. um, that would be unfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are still wounds, and, and and there are still things going on, um, and uh, and it's just it's it's something that um, I, I have never encountered before in the United States, mm-hmm. but I have encountered in other countries where there has been a dictatorship. So. Um, let me see if I can, I can try to encapsulate it by kind of telling a, a couple, two or three different things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's uh, one time I got on the bus and a woman, uh, an older, uh, older woman, she helped pay for my, 
uh, bus ticket because all the businesses were closed and I couldn't get change anywhere. Mm-hmm. And a uh, extremely nice woman, and we're riding on the bus, and I'm actually riding somewhere to do an interview, and and uh, she's talking to me, and we're going through a, a forest section of Buenos Aires, and she says, uh, she says to me, um, I guess the English translation would be something like, uh, th- things were better when the gentlemen, things were better when the gentlemen were in charge. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the gentlemen, which is referring to for the military officers, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just, so you, you have an instance of someone, and it's not, uh, completely unheard of, of, of people, uh, liking, uh, uh, a brutal dictatorship to be, uh, to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, also, this kind of gets back to the films. And this is something that did really surprise me a lot, is that uh, with the number of Argentine films, again, not just horror films, but given the number of Argentine films that deal with the dictatorship, there there can be a, a, a dynamic of, um, how do we say this, like memory saturation, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that people are, are sick of seeing... Uh, the, the dictatorship or films about the dictatorship mm-hmm. um, that was something that surprised me and in fact uh, a number of these horror film directors saw their films as a way of uh, of getting away from uh, a realist cinema mm-hmm. or a cinema that deals with uh, political tragedy all the time mm-hmm. uh, so that was something that was interesting for me but uh getting kind of more concluded back to your question like yeah you can find memory centers sometimes mm-hmm. um, in, in particular cities uh, yeah one time uh, in a particular um, part of, of the capital uh, I came across a uh, an overpass that was left undone uh, because while they were building the overpass they found a mass grave yeah. and they just stopped building it mm-hmm. and that's just like holy cow and it's not a gigantic memorial. It's just it was just left undone, mm-hmm. and uh, you can see placards and, and people are kind of that people have put up. Um, but that's kind of a, a thing that's there. It's not everywhere, but at the same time, it's it's by no means um, uh, non-existent. Mm-hmm. Short, so yeah. So something that came to mind was that you know, like here in the U.S people who are into scary films let's say or horror they'll see an you know a graveyard or an old abandoned building and they might get this reaction like ooh there's probably you know like a positive reaction to like ooh there's probably like a cool horror you know idea going through their brain um whereas i wonder in argentina i guess uh, i assume they get the same you know they like if you're into horror there, you like graveyards and old dark places, but then you also have this extra layer of, like, brutality that occurred, you know, decades back. So I'm just curious about that that kind of interplay of, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, it's something that I was interested in. You know, I, I look at the chat rooms and discussions about the films, and, you know, folks, when they talk about a horror film, oftentimes they'll, they don't talk about the legacy of the dictatorship unless the film is explicitly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's that, that's something that I kind of, kind of deal with uh, in the book is, <laughs> how do you shut that out, you know? Mm-hmm. Can you shut that out or is it me projecting onto the movies that, that you, hey, you guys, how can you not think about this? 
Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a paradox, you know, it's a paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's just definitely layers, so, yeah. So what do you hope, apart from just uh, opening people's, more people's eyes to Argentine horror cinema, uh, what do you hope the book will do? Um, well, um, I hope that, uh, I guess one way is, I hope if people don't already appreciate low-budget filmmaking that they might. Um, So I think oftentimes people uh, conceive of cinema as strictly the movies that are uh, in multiplexes or uh, on Netflix or on Redbox or something, and um, it's important, I think, to understand that that kind of cycles of, of cinema can also happen on, on a low-budget scale. Um, so in this case, the, the horror films, they got started on a very low-budget scale, and, and now they've progressed uh, to kind of a commercial phase, but at the same time, there's still filmmakers who are making movies for, for kind of shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's one thing, is, you know, consider consider different ways of filmmaking and different, and different modes of filmmaking and, and distribution, because... It goes without saying, everybody already knows this, but, but, you know, film viewing doesn't happen just in theaters these days, and, and filmmaking just doesn't happen in, in big studios these days, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, can you speak to any additional difficulties you had in, in finishing and getting the book published? You mentioned a few already. Um... <laughs> One thing that came up was with the with the punk horror films is uh, I was trying to get get film stills and the quality of the images are so poor that uh, when I would take a still and and try to correct it uh, with Photoshop or something it was you can only do so much correction. Uh, but I went with the poor image because you know that's that's part of the it's part of the, the punkness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, it's definitely not corporate punk. So. Uh, yeah, it's got that kind of got that raw element to it. Um, other difficult things, um, I, I guess, a steady diet of horror cinema. You know, um, I, I don't. You know, I, I can only imagine. You know, of course, there are all kinds of different horror fan, cinema fans out there, and um, I imagine they watch a, uh, a variety of different movies. I don't know if anyone exists on a pure diet of horror cinema. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the for, for the sake of writing this book, uh, uh, yeah, I was on a steady diet of it, and, and uh, you know, after a while, you know, eventually it can wear on you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you watch uh, you bounce it out with some with some screwball comedies. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of a kind of a uh, something to be endured, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, sacrifice for the art for. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well put. So what's your next writing project? Oh, man, well, we'll see. Um, one uh, project I was uh, starting to, to look at was uh, the number of shows and movies uh, about drug trafficking um, and about traffic in general. Um, so I just think just talking about looking at things on, on that is available on Netflix uh, but it just seems to be like this explosion, and it's it's not new by any means uh, of of uh, movies that deal with traffic. So of course, drug trafficking, but also also arms trafficking, human trafficking, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, 
you know, I, I wrote a book, a horror, a horror genre. And, uh, I think that given the number of movies that are, and, and television or series, actually, I don't know what you would call now, streaming series, um, that deal with traffic, that there's, there's a traffic genre now. Hmm. Um, and, and looking at all these different movies is, you know, it would be a huge undertaking. And I don't know how we'll do it except for just sitting down and watching all this stuff, but how does one film traffic, you know? Mm-hmm. So traffic is the circulation of illicit products. Um, what are the different motifs that are repeated to represent traffic? Mm-hmm. And that might be an immigrant who's upwardly mobile, like Scarface. Mm-hmm. Um, or and is there some kind of transportation that always goes into getting the stuff across the borders um like we're the builders in an rv um or um tunnels like uh like weeds um so that's something something that kind of interests me Hmm. um i've written something recently about uh horse center from chile um and uh so yeah, those are kind of the things that are on the on the front and back burners, I guess. Mm-hmm. So people can find the book on Amazon. Um, is there? Do you have a, a website or social media accounts that uh, people can follow you on? Uh, I don't. I'm afraid. Maybe I can. Maybe I can work on that. Hmm. Uh, I was going to say those. Uh, the, the book is expensive. Um, I, you know, we'll see what happens in a year if there's a different edition that comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but if you go on the, the, the publisher's website, SUNY, mm-hmm. uh, S-U-N-Y, uh, SUNY Press, mm-hmm. and type in the title, uh, folks will see the book available there if they want to order it. Um, but also people can read the first chapter, um, to see if it's interesting to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's all the questions that I have. Any final words? No, no, just thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you and, uh, Yeah, thanks to thanks to folks for listening. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening. One of the best ways in which you can provide feedback for this podcast is to rate me on iTunes. Uh, Please give me a good rating if you like this, or uh, feel free to give me a bad rating if you didn't, and I'll use that feedback to hopefully make this a better podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram under Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi. On Facebook under Chris Alvarez WLC. On YouTube under Chris Alvarez WLC. And on Twitter under Chris Alvarez WLC. You can also get more information on my website, ChrisAlvarez.com. Please remember my name, Chris, does not have an H. So it's C R I S. A-L-V-A-R-E-Z dot com. Thanks for listening and keep imagining the future.